Well, good afternoon. How's everyone today? That means one's good. The rest of you are cold. <laughs> Jury's still out. All right, we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> let's take our Bibles this afternoon and uh, let's turn to the book of First Thessalonians. <clears throat> I'd like to look at a, a couple of sections within that book. Um, we'll begin in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we'll be turning to chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. But we begin reading in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 1 through verse 8. Um, as we, before we do that, I, we're on a, I guess, kind of a mission, if you will, or a, a study in regards to uh, discovering or understanding God's will. And oftentimes, as we spoke about, um, there's, there's a thought of, what, where should I be? Where should I live? What should I do? What, what job should I have? What career should I have? Who should I marry? All of those all of those questions of which surround us of where we live currently today. We see that and we're actually, it, it, it kind of like look out into the future. What is it? What does God want me to do? And, and what we're trying to do is reeling that all back in and seeing, well, let's find out what God's word says about doing the will of God. And it allows us then to just rest upon those foundational truths. And really, quite honestly, the things that we're concerned about take care of themselves. We'll, we'll get into that as we go on, but the third one, if you remember, we were talking about God's will, first of all, is for the, us to get saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, that's his first and foremost desire for you. You'll never understand his will if you don't get saved. Secondarily, we looked at a couple of weeks in regards to, uh, then if you are saved, be filled with the Spirit. We spent quite a bit of time on that. Today we'll find the third one, if you will, and it's unfolded for us here in, in a number of places in the Scripture, but we'll look at primarily now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Then turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading... Verse 23, very toward the end of the letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, again, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this place, to share in the sense of praise and worship and uplifting your, your, your name, to glorify it through song. And Father, as Paul led us uh, in a, a prayer, Father, leading our will in alignment with yours. And Father, that's what prayer is all about, getting ourselves in line with you. Fathers, we're studying about 
discovering and unfolding and doing your will, Father, we would ask that today would be uh, more enlightenment, that you would use the Word of God to, to cast more light upon our relationship with yourself. We once again want to thank you for Jesus Christ and all that he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And Father, now these moments before us, we would ask that we would be attentive to what the Holy Spirit, who we're asking to be our sole teacher today, will expose and enlighten for us. And Father, we pray that we would be open and you would have all of us to be what you want us to be as we, can, we conform to the image of your Son. And these things now we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's God's will not only that we uh, are saved, and it's God's will also that we be filled with the Spirit of which, quite honestly, lives within us. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit once you become a child of God. Um, there's not half of you. There's not a quarter of you. You don't have to look to find the Holy Spirit. Uh, literally, when you trust Him, trust Jesus Christ as Savior, boom, you have the Holy Spirit. How did that, how did that work? Boom. Did you get that? It was just, just that fast. It's right there. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, from that moment forward, there's changes that have taken. You become a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Um, there's things that are all brand new. Your outlook is very different. How you see things, it's through a whole different lens. You show me the society in which we find ourselves. Even he was talking about, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the sense of, of, of a, well, I'm getting ahead of myself for just a moment. Um, in walking in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, that's, those, are, those are choices. Those are points of attention that we need to make. We need to be affiliated with. It's, it's our choice taking all that we can get from what God is giving to us, the dynamite, if you will, the power, all of the things that are ours, literally, for our asking and being yielding towards him. Uh, the third thing we come to today is the sense of sanctification. It's God's will that we be sanctified. Now, that's, that word is not one that you probably pull out and use in your vocabulary very often. It almost is, in the very sense, sanctimonious. It's, it's just a little too far out there where we're comfortable in discussing it. It's, it's like, well, we, we are not really... You, you don't understand what I'm saying? Because sancti sanctified means what? What does it, first of all, mean? Set yes. Set apart. Just to, to set apart. Set apart from what? From the world. To be set apart from sin. Ultimately, positionally, and if you think about uh, sanctification, there's three different phases or aspects of it. Maybe I'll say that. The nature of sanctification, we'll talk about that briefly. Uh, the first one is what we would call positional. Positional uh, sanctification. And that's very much in line with justification. And that's one thing. You need to understand this. Uh, justification is really the act of whereby you have been declared not guilty by God. And that's the one you're concerned about. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. doesn't matter what anybody else says. You want to know what God says about you in regards to sin. And he, through the act, that's an act, not a process, an act that he declares you not guilty because he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ that you have accepted. And he sees that. He sees the robes of righteousness. And positionally, again, you are made right with God. Now, the, the positional sanctification is, we'll find a couple of examples of that um, in the Scripture. Let's go to, uh, I'm actually getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's all right. Um, I've got to think about where that's at now. Maybe I'm ahead of myself. No, there we go. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not too far away. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, let's look at the positional aspect of sanctification. 
And you'll notice that it's in the past tense. If you've trusted, that is, if you've trusted Christ. If, you, if you're here today and you have not trusted Christ, then today is the day of salvation. We ask and trust that you would do that because then today would be that day of which you would receive the Holy Spirit, that you would positionally be set apart for God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 and let's focus on verse 10. 10, 10. By the which will we are sanctified, that's past tense, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So positionally, just at the same moment of which you're justified, you are now at peace with God. If you've not trusted Christ as Savior, you are at war. You are at enmity. You certainly are not at peace with God. And you know that. It's amazing the things that people that don't know Christ that are afraid of. They literally are, they kind of have a wall up against God. Now, you'll notice that, a non-Christian. Now, again, I'm using that word not as a, a Gallup poll would understand. It's amazing. In our country, a uh, Gallup poll done some years back uh, said that 80% of our nation declared themselves to be Christian. But only 10% actually would show it. And I'm leaving those distinctions between the Gallup poll. But he was digging, he was probing, because obviously... Could 80% of our country actually be Christian in the sense of follow? What is it? What is a Christian? Following after Christ. It's a disciple of Christ. In other words, your life is following after someone. Now, we don't see a lot of that in this nation, do we? But as he continued to probe through questions, it was literally came down to about 10% that he would have called uh, a very, very strong, active, progressive faith. Now, those are George Gallup's uh, words. But at the same time, it would seem to unmask the real characteristics of someone that is truly being sanctified. And I will say this, if you're a Christian, good news, you are being sanctified. Positionally, it's taken care of. There's nothing that will fall short of you being completely perfected unto the end result. That's the position of positional. And it was taken in the past. It's the past effect of sanctification. Now, there's the one on the opposite side of it, which we would call the future sanctification. It's established at our glorification. Now, when, you have, uh, when you're translated out of this world, either you're here during the, and the rapture takes place, and you will be caught up. I'm, I'm kind of voting for that event, actually, sooner than later. I don't know where the rest of you are, but I'm ready. I'm really, really, really ready to get, get going, right? But in the event that we would pass away, then our spirit would go to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But on that final culmination of glorification, then that sanctification is the completeness of body, soul, and spirit. Or I would say the material and the immaterial part of you becomes complete, perfect. Ah, does that not sound wonderful? I'm not getting you excited enough yet, but we'll keep working on it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's look at it in a more delightful way. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it actually talks about uh, this in verses 52 through 54. Um, and that is a fabulous passage of Scripture. If you're depressed today, go home and read verses 51 through 58. And if you're still depressed, read it again, because you can't hardly stay that way if you're trusting in Christ. Verse 52 says this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, 
and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. It's, it's changing from what you know, what you see of the flesh side of us. You know, it's just like it's hard for us sometimes to say the word sanctification or sanctimony. Those things that are, just seem we're set apart, it's too holy for us to even grab. And it's the reason being, we're still living within the flesh. We still have a fleshly body of which is so apparent to us. And that the culmination of that, the future glorification, I'm sorry, the future uh, sanctification literally is that completion of corruptible becoming incorruptible, mortal becoming immortal. Then it says, and shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And that's the ultimate sanctification that we look forward to. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 speaks of it a little bit further. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Philippians 3.21. It says this, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And that is the wrong book. I'm in Ephesians. Thank you for not caring enough to tell me that. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. And here we'll try it again. Have you ever read the verse and you say, that's not the one I was looking for? Yeah, exactly. It's all God's word, but this is the one I was looking for. Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. Let's try it this way. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That is a picture of the future sanctification. Now, the one we're going to discuss and be interested in today primarily is the third aspect of sanctification. And that is one we would call experiential sanctification, experiential. It's the one in which we're living and breathing proof of something that's continually changing. And if you are a Christian, you can be sure that it may seem a process that's rather slow, and yet it is absolutely moving forward. And uh, Chuck Swindoll had a way of, he says, uh, walking three steps forward and two steps back and three steps forward. But you know what? Ultimately, you're still progressing. You're still moving. Because we're not asked to lead a life of perfection, but a life of progress. We should be, uh, one way that you could kind of gauge, we'll be talking about this, and how do we know we're being sanctified? We'll, ask, we'll look at some of the little checklists at the end of our session today. But one of the things that I think is very important is even comparing to last year at this time and the year before that, you should see a progress in your life getting closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what conforming to the image of his son, that's what God's whole purpose is in getting you saved. God's purpose was not essentially just to keep you out of the fire. His purpose was to make you like his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we just look for a, for a, a fire insurance policy and we tuck it away and the rest of our life doesn't mean a thing. That is not the, that's not what God is daylighting or highlighting in the sense of our life. He wants us to become just like Christ, who was the first prince. He was the one that literally paid the price, and we can change the world when we are more Christ-like. All right. Any questions so far? Let's go uh, back to the word sanctify in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want us to look at this. It's in the verb form. It's asking us to... or Actually, what he's doing is he's asking God to to sanctify these at Thessalonica. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 23. Let's read it and then we'll start to work on it. Uh, verse 23, chapter 5, First Thessalonians. And the very God of peace 
sanctify you wholly. Now, sanctify in that particular sense is in the verb form. Hageatso, to separate or to set apart. It's a process to being separate from sin unto holiness. If you think about it, it's a, it's a, it's a transition. Again, positionally, when you got saved, you were justified. You were declared not guilty. No longer are you under the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin has been broken. And someone should say, praise God or hallelujah. But being that not heard, we'll just assume that that was said. But the penalty of sin is gone. It's gone forever because you are in Jesus Christ. And the whole book of Ephesians talks about the placement of you in him. What a wonderful thing to think and contemplate. Once we're in that position, then there's this process of where you were, you were captive, you were slave to sin, and now you were converting, you were transferring, if you will, from, if, just think of it this way, sin is in this hand and holiness is in the other hand. Left, those that are listening by tape, it'll be really weird. Left hand is sin, right hand is holiness. And that transfer is that process experientially of sanctification. Now, how many of you would qualify or would, would, uh, would turn your head if someone said, Saint so-and-so? How many of you feel part of that? We're, we're not there, are we? And yet, quite honestly, because of the positional sanctification, you, if you're in Christ, are a saint. That's exactly what Paul said. In fact, you'll find him in most letters. He will say, written to the saints at Colossae, written to the saints at Corinthians, at Corinth or whatever it might be, he addresses them because they are in Christ. And because of what he did, you are set apart. See, see, you see, see this is what I want you to see now. It actually just hit me like a ton of bricks. I got a, a buzz right at my backbone because it's the very same thing for me. In the fact of when we don't even appreciate the fact that God has set us apart from sin, how could we possibly be engaged in sanctification in a wholesome and profitable way if we don't even see what he's done for us? See, we are set up. We are saints. Now, what your mind is doing is you're right away trying to say, well, I'm not perfect. No, no, he's not asking that. You're perfect before him because of what Jesus did. But now he wants you to transfer from what you were to where he wants you to be. And that's what sanctification is all about. You're set apart. Now we need to live like it. How am I doing? We coming along? All right. Let's keep going. And that's a concept, actually, that's all through Scripture. Uh, we'll find it. We'll, we'll not take time. Well, actually, we will. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, the book of beginnings. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. Um, God has made stuff. And I'm not, when I'm saying made, he created it out of nothing. I, I just, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, verse 31 of chapter 1 says this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Think of that. I mean, imagine that. That's, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? To, to, to start with a chaos, I, can't, I don't think chaos is even right. There's nothing. There's zero other than God. God was, God is, and God ever shall be. He always has been, always will be. Now, you can't wrap your head around that, but, but it's a try. Nothing but him. And in, in six days, boom, it's all here. And it's very good. Isn't that awesome? He didn't make no junk. It's all good. 
Verse, one, verse 2, chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and, did you see the word? Sanctified it. He set it apart for himself even. Think of that. Right out of the box at the very beginning, we're not a week into this thing, and literally God <laughs> sanctified or set apart the seventh day for rest. For himself. This is for him. Isn't that cool? Do you, do you see how important? And see, the same thing is you can look at all of these things in the scripture which have been set aside. We could spend a lot of time just looking. Every time we find sanctified, we can find the Israelites. They were sanctified. The firstborn, they were sanctified. They were set apart for God. And if you're a Christian here today, you are set apart. You are sanctified. Start using that word. If it's just not, if, if, even if it's not somebody, use it in your mind. Use it to yourself. I am sanctified. I am being sanctified. I am processing to be coming from sin to holiness. Use that word holiness. That's where he wants you. You'll, you'll never get to your goal unless you say it. When's the last time anyone won a championship without actually focusing on it? Show me an NBA or an NFL uh, championship team that never actually thought about winning. It's the same for us as Christians. We need to visualize what it looks like to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> One of us is with me. That's right. I like it. I like it. I like it. Now, it also brings us to speed that... Um, Romans chapter 6. We'll be looking at this again, but I think it's good for us to maybe look at it and then come back to it. Romans chapter 6. A lot of things going on in this chapter. A lot of things. Um, But I would like to take us... Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 6. And let's start... I'm going to... Let's just start in verse 15. Uh, We're going to be looking at 19 particularly, but let's start in verse 15. It it sets our context up. And... uh, he has told us a lot. Actually, man, this thing is so rich. Um, I'm not sure where I want to start. How about that? So saying that, you that know me well, let's start in verse 1 of Romans chapter 6. And before we do that, I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 5 to make sure we understand where we're at. So how are we doing? Romans chapter 5 verse 21 says this, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I have that whole verse underlined because it's so awesome. And then verse 1 of chapter 6, it's almost like then we take grace for granted. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken grace for granted and say, if there's that much grace, if there's that much grace, then who cares what happens? God is able to cover it all through grace. And he asks that question. Paul is way ahead of us. He says in verse 1 of chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, that is, live in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, how much did you have to do with any of the things we've read so far? Zero. 
Okay? And that's okay because you weren't able to do that. In fact, you didn't even know that you were locked into sin. You show me a sinner that knows the condition that he really is apart. They don't have a clue. Why? Because Satan has deceived them just like he deceived Eve. You'll find in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He has blinded their eyes to their true condition. Let's keep going. For he that is dead is freed from sin. But, I'm sorry, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Aha, knowing that Christ being raised from the death dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, oh, now watch verse 11, something changes. So far it's all God's work, all Christ's work. He's gotten it all done. Verse 11, likewise, because of it, reckon you. Now we are in the, we're in, in the picture. You also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we do that? Let not sin therefore reign or be king in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust of We talked about this last week, I think. You see your body, your flesh, that's the beachhead. That's the beachfront that Satan comes to try to attack and to gain access to have that beachhead. From there, he launches temptations and flaming darts of doubt and deception, whatever it might be. And it comes from our body, which is susceptible to that. Okay? So let's watch it. Let's keep going. Now watch verse 13. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That is probably some of the richest verses that we could even imagine having partaking of. And if you're in Jesus Christ, those are truths that you are immersed in. Now, there's things that you aren't asked to do. But there is one thing in this that we've been told, actually two things. It's thinking, reckoning. Pay attention. Make this a fact in your life. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Why can you do that? Because Christ paid the price. No longer are you a slave to sin. And someone should say, hallelujah. There's a whole lot of people in this world today, even those that might call themselves Christians, that have never trusted Christ, that are still a slave to sin. It's not just saying, I'm a Christian. It's not just saying those words that make you a Christian. Heavens, from, heavens to Betsy. I don't even, where did I hear that from? Heavens to bed. What does that mean? I don't even just popped out. But the bottom line is this. It's absolutely true that it's Jesus Christ and he alone that conquered and broke the penalty of sin. And if you're in him, hallelujah. You need to make that thinking. You need to make that proper thinking in your mind. You must think right to act right. You can never live right unless you're thinking right. And then if you're thinking right... The next thing that you're told or asked to do is do not yield your body to unrighteousness, but yield it to God. See, those are choices now. Now we've, you see, there's personality, there's personal choices here. That's where we get involved in the sense of sanctification. We'll find, process, we'll, we'll find verses today that literally it says that God does the work. And then there's some that says Paul worked diligently. He just worked his fanny off, but it was all about God. And you know what? I don't know how to divide those. I just know that they're both involved. If you don't have God, your sanctification is a zero. If it doesn't have you in making choices and yielding, it doesn't work out. In fact, what it tells us is you probably aren't saved. Because God's sure because he is faithful to complete what he started. But let's keep going. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Let's keep moving. 
Um, let's see. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes right now, so let me just catch up for a second. Oh, one of the things that we want to be careful of now is also is the source. We've talked about this just briefly, the source of our sanctification. So turn back to our text, back to 1 Thessalonians. And as much as we're jumping around, you're wondering where we really ought to be. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is what we'll probably mark as our text today. And verse 23, it describes for us right away our source of sanctification. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. So our source is the God of peace. Why does he describe himself that way? Why wouldn't he just, why wouldn't he do something different? Why would he say, he, in, in this, the, and I'm saying, Paul is describing, the God of peace sanctify you completely, wholly. Not just halfway. That's another thing I like. I like that word being there. And, he could have just, and the God of peace sanctify you. No, no, he didn't stop there. See, I'm way ahead of myself already. I want to I talk about it because completely, it's through and through. There's no missing anything. He wants you to be completely sanctified. The God of peace. Tell me why that would be used. What, what significance might be within that? Is that how you describe your, the God of peace? What does that mean? You really do. It changes the whole thing. The warfare is completely over. You're not at war anymore with God. Have you ever thought of it that way? And there's a lot of, well, wait a minute. Now, this is a non-Christian speaking. Wait, what? I'm not fighting God. I mean, I'm not against him. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're either for him or you're against him. In fact, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 just to make sure we displace that whole thought process that we really are. Let's, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, we'll start there. And you hath he quickened are to make alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Think of that. Prior to Jesus Christ, you didn't even know that you were dead. You were dead and didn't even know it. Wherein in time past, before that, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or citizenry in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, that, if that's not at war with God, I don't know what is. And then the next verse is, says, is so awesome. But God. <laughs> I love the but gods in Scripture. We're headed for a destruction course. There's no way for us to get away from it. And then it says, but God, who is rich in mercy. Isn't that awesome? There's a few of you that are excited, not quite enough. We're going to keep going. I mean, now, by the way, until you're all excited, I'm just going to keep preaching. Oh. <laughs> Boy, look at the excitement. <laughs> Did you see that now? Just rose right up. Rose right up. The God of peace. Let's come back to that thought process for a moment. <clears throat> the other thing is, is not only uh, are you no longer at war with God, you're at peace with him. But now a whole nother plethora, a whole nother room enters, uh, opens up to where now you can have peace. Now, if you don't have God in your life, if you've never trusted Christ, I'm absolutely going to tell you, you don't know what peace is. You can't know. There's no way you could know. And now, not only can you have peace with God, you can experience the peace of God, which comes when we, oh, my blank, my board is blank. Remember, after you're saved, what's the next step? Be filled with the to, to, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, which is a continuum. And never stop doing that. Just keep on being filled. Keep on being 
is the word that is, is literally taken there. And the peace of God. Uh, and one of the things that actually, um, it's in Philippians. How, how, somebody help me right now. Um, oh, where is that? We need to find this. Because this is uh, one of the things, when you have the peace of God, it defies definition. It's uh, outside of anyone understanding. I'll find it in a second. Or maybe someone will find it for me. Um, it's in Philippians. I know that much. Oh, i got to find it. It's too good to miss. Maybe it's in chapter 4. Yeah, there we go. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Let's go there for a moment. We'll start in verse 6 because it ties it in beautifully. One of the things is that when you're at peace, you know something that doesn't, that, you know, that's not in your life? If you're full of God's peace, if you're full of peace, there's something that's not preying upon you, and that is... Worry and anxiety or fear. Whatever, whatever your favorite word is for that, worry, anxiety, or fear, they all basically mean the same. They turmoil the most of you. But you know what? When, when you have God's peace, it's not there. Let's start in verse 6. Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You can't even understand it. Shall what? Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you are having a situation, and we all have situations. In fact, I'm not, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced everyone in this room today has a situation. Because behind every situation is another situation, of which has many situations. You do. You can't hide it from me. Because God said, it's the way it is. It's the way the world is. But you know what? When we have the peace of God, and we're at peace with God, literally, we don't have to worry about anything. When we cast our care upon him because he cares for us, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt he wants what's best for us. And we need to pray for one another. That's one of the things I, I said to our truth seekers on Thursday night. We need to pray for one another. This, this, this group of folks right here today, and we're not exclusive, we're not neatos, we're not the coolest Christians in the valley. I happen to think you guys are, but, you know, it's not a special place. But you know what? When we're in Christ, we're special. And we need to use all of the special gifts that he's allowed us to be. And you know what? We can share with him about each other. And one of the things I do when I wake up in the middle of the night, see, when you guys start moving around a lot in the, in the pews, that's a problem for me. Because I have a seating arrangement in my head. And I just close my eyes and I go right down the line and I pray for you guys. I pray for you guys in the middle of the night. And when you move, you're in trouble. Well, just a little bit. But you know what? Those, those names pop out at me, though. But it's amazing. that's how I think of it, though, I just, where, I, where I see you. See? And, there, and, there, and you know what? God wants us to do that. He wants us to care about one another. He wants to know that we care about one another. Because he does. That's cool stuff, isn't it? It's really cool stuff. And I, there's, there isn't anything greater that you can do for, for, for myself and Lisa than to pray for us. Amen. I mean, there's nothing more awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. Tears come to my eyes when I think about it because it's so special. Because it means something. We're not, we're not just offering thoughts and prayers to something. We're talking to God, the supreme, awesome creator of everything. Exactly. And beyond, right? It's exciting. It's exciting. You can't ever get in the situations that's so bad 
that God can't handle it. Let me say that one more time. You can't get in a situation so bad that God can't handle it. And there have been a few times I thought I was. <laughs> All right. Verse 8, yes. It is. Now, it's interesting that Mary Kay brings that up because one of the things that's really important is, now what did we talk about back in Romans chapter 6, is you got to think right. Reckon. That's to make things, make the facts the facts in your life. You are dead to sin. It doesn't own you anymore. You need, and you need to say that. You need to know that. You need to trust that because God said it. It doesn't win over you anymore. It doesn't have that right. You're dead to sin. Am I too loud today? I don't even care, actually, right now. Okay? But the real deal is, is how do you yield your instruments to God? One of the keys is, Mary Kay just wrote, let's read verse 8, because it's really cool. What do you think about? Finally, brethren, now he's talking about, he's just unfolded for us the fact we don't have to worry about anything. As long as we are in everything giving in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving you make your request be known and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep it's like a fortress around your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus what? verse 8 finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things of good report if there be any virtue and if there be any praise think on these things Boy, I'll tell you what, if you took your stuff through the day and you sorted through all of the junk and just focused on that, I'm going to tell you what, being filled with the Spirit and being fully sanctified becomes reality because we're thinking right and we're acting right. Isn't that cool? Ah, good stuff. So how does God do it? We've been talking about the fact that He's our source of sanctification. How does he do it? Ooh, that's a good thought, isn't it? How does he do it? How does he do it? How, what would be some answers we might find there? How does he do it? See, I'm listen- I can't even listen and write as bad as listening. I'm going to write this and then I'll talk. How was that? I can't do that either. Okay, so run that by me one more time. Uh, the question I asked was, how does God sanctify us? How does he do it? And, Mom, I think you said something. Yeah. Putting our sins You know, when we have trials, we naturally go to him for help. That sounds painful. Oh, <laughs> A little sarcasm in the back? Diane, did you have something? Okay. So does God use trials and 
Yes, he does. We, we went through the book of James, didn't we? And James was pretty clear. Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various temptations or trials. I'm like, joy. It was like Jesus Christ said in chapter 12 of Hebrews. He counted it joy to endure the cross. Think of that. How much joy was that being nailed to a cross? But he saw beyond it. And that's sometimes when we're in a trial or a tribulation, especially if you're older now. As you, as you become older and more mature in Jesus Christ, you know what? When you have a trouble and a trial coming at you, praise God because you know he brought you through the last one. He, you, you can be confident that he is faithful to bring you through what he started because he promised it. Just like Abram, he's dragging Isaac up the mountain. And I know I tell you this story way too much, but I don't care because it's really cool. Here's a man with his son, 16 years old. I'm just going to, he was probably a teenager, and they walk up the hill. And at the very end, Abraham raises a knife to slay his son, which we as human parents lose it. But you know what he saw? He saw it as an opportunity for God to make sure to, to, to fulfill a promise that he had given. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he would have thought that God would have even raised him from the dead, Isaac. Because he had to, because God promised that he would have descendants as far, as wide as the sands of the sea. And that meant God would have been going against his word. So he was just following God's word. Isn't that cool? Now that's faith. That's faith. How do you build faith? These same ways. These same ways. Where were we at? Where did I? Oh, yeah, Romans 12, 1 is good. Yeah, it's really good. It's the renewing of your mind. Let's go there. And then, I'm, then we're going to go to another one. Uh, we'll find back in John. How does he do it? Let's go to, uh, uh, we, we kind of, you know what? I did not, did I read verse 19 of Romans chapter 6? We're going to have to go back, but not now. Let's go to where Ernie took us. Let's go to he, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and let's look at one way of a description of how God sanctifies us. Romans chapter 12, let's start in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul speaking, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Does that not sound like what sanctifying looks like? Yeah, being set apart. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He does it by transforming your mind, by renewing it. Very good. Let's go back to Romans for a moment because we'll be going to John. Romans chapter 6 and let's look at verse 19. I failed to continue on, but we'll start in verse 18. Verse 17. There we go. And I could go back, but I won't. To Romans chapter 6 verse 17. But God be thanked that you who were the servants of sin, that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the man... Watch verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yield yourselves to him. 
Let's go to, uh, now I'm going to key on what mom said uh, in the sense of trials and tests. Let's go to 1 Peter. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Watch this, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, toward the end of his first epistle, uh, Peter writes this, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Now stop for a minute, stop. Does that not sound way cool right now? He has called us unto eternal glory through Jesus Christ. Everybody's on board, watch. After that you have suffered a while... Make you perfect, that is, complete, mature, established, or firmly fixed, strengthened, and settled you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And, you know, those of you that maybe have some gray hairs or are working on those, or even some guys, maybe we don't have as much hair as we used to have, there's something about experience that somewhere along the line, those trials and tribulations, that suffering, if you will, has made us more mature. It has allowed us to see how great God really is. Now, I'm not saying in that very, at, that, at that pinnacle, that climactic moment where you just, oh, I can't take anymore. Have you been there? Sure you have. Absolutely. I can name several of them in my life that were just, boom, and it was just, it was overwhelming. It was overpowering. I couldn't take anymore, and yet it was just like, and I didn't hear an audible voice. It was with me. Can you, can, we, can you just go five more minutes with me? That's God speaking. That's the Holy Spirit. Can you go? And the answer, yes, with you I can. And you get through that. And you can turn around and say, you know what? Here comes another trial. You know what? The end result is going to be good for me because God loves me more than anything else. That's good news. That's good news. But let's look at another way. And this is the one I was thinking of is how does God do it? Let's go to John chapter 17. John 17. Jesus is literally praying. It says in verse 1 of chapter 17, These words spoke Jesus. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And he goes on and he describes things that are pressing upon his heart. And and it's a wonderful chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. But let's um, let's go down into verse 15. Same chapter, chapter 17. Jesus is it's the high priestly prayer it's described as. In verse 15, it says this, Jesus' words, I pray not that thou shouldest take them, he's speaking of the disciples, out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Look verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God is going to do a whole lot of work through two means that effectively get you sanctified as awesome as any way possible. And that is when you take the Word of God added to the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Those two forces are unconquerable. That is literally how He does most of the work from sanctifying, setting you apart from the world, moving you from sin to holiness. He does it through His Word and the Holy Spirit. There is, can you think of anything more powerful? That's the one I would want to have the work done by, right? Have you, how would you want to go? Have you got a, you got a car problem? You, go, you drive into this mechanic shop and it says, I can't think of the right words right now, but it's just, it's got a sign there, mechanic, right? You walk in and you say, I've got a 1978 Datsun, and I'm making this up, obviously, <laughs> and, and I've got a, my motor sounds funny. Do you think you could help me out? Oh, I ain't never worked on them things. Or just say, I'm alone. 
<laughs> All of these are raising up great ideas of confidence, aren't they? Or, or I'll just say, you know, I'm being on the phone with, and I'm, I, this is this is actually this is this is actually true. I'm and, and choppers are something that I, I have to get answers. I need to get them fast, right? So I call. I don't call to the to the normal John Deere place that doesn't do choppers. Because when I say, say, I've got a John Deere 8600 chopper, I, I, and I've got a problem with the, uh, whatever, the cutter head on that, a bearing on it, and, and, and that this guy, I don't do choppers. So now, how long are you going to stand the line? No, we're done here. Our, our work is finished. Because he doesn't know what I need. Right? And so then I call Twin Falls, or I call another place that's got chopper mechanics. And I'm still not too good. Oh, Oh, I ain't never worked on that thing before. And my conversation is done. What do I go? You keep going until you find someone that knows what you're talking about. And that's why it's so cool that we have a Savior. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. It's so good because he doesn't, he could never say, I don't know what you feel like, but this is what you should do. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. See, it means so much more because Jesus Christ lived in a fleshly body just like you and I. Starting verse 15. Chapter 4, Hebrews. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Because of that, let us, therefore, because of that, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is so powerful today because Jesus Christ knows everything you can imagine that you don't think anyone else knows about. That is is overwhelming in a fantastic way. It's good stuff. He's there for us. He does it through his word. Now, we do have a part in that. We've talked about it in Romans chapter 6. Let's go to, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see uh, Paul's heart. He's, he's, he's worn out. You can almost tell it. This is his last writing to uh, Timothy, the one that he's mentoring. And he's, uh, he's, he's almost closing out, if you will. And you can find it. Uh, the finishing line is just in front of him. He knows it. You can tell he knows it. Second Timothy chapter 4. Let's start in verses 6 and 7. I want you to watch his description of what, how he has attacked uh, after finding Christ. This is what he's done. For now I am now, for I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You see it? He was very engaged in doing his part. It wasn't like, uh, just let God do it all. No! Did I say that loud enough? Must have. <laughs> no, no. Paul was very... In fact, let's go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's three things that I would like you to, to write down. I'll do it after. Let's read this first. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Paul, again, just, he's coming down, writing, ending his, uh, the letter to Corinth. And this has been a difficult letter for him, I'll tell you that, because they were engaged in carnality. They were Christians that really, 
they didn't act like it. And yet he's, he's unfolded the doctrine. He's talked about resurrection. And now he just, it's almost like he lets down his hair, if you will. And he says in verse 10 of chapter 15, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Did you see it? Both factors are extremely important in sanctification. God is absolutely the strength and the source of it. But if you're not engaged with it, it's not the same. It's not the same. Let's go to um, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. <clears throat> Again, Paul writing. Whereunto, Colossians 1, 29, Whereunto I also labor, striving, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. That is probably the best capsulation of it all. Striving with him working mightily. That combination, it couldn't be anything but success. And then one more, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, fabulous passage here talking about God working. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Now this is a verse that many times gets uh, miscommunicated, but let's watch carefully. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, you see, they take verse 12 many times and they say, work out your own salvation. It's up to you to do what you have to do to do it to get saved. wrong That is not what he's saying because verse 13 makes it very clear. It is God that works in you. But we are to make an effort. Let's, uh, let's write down a couple of things that I think are very pertinent in the sense of our, our, our side of sanctification. And I would, I'm going to just, you guys might want to add to it. <clears throat> I'm going to think one of the things is to be dedicated. Dedicated. You need dedicated to that process. Because literally, aren't, let's, let's, let's remind ourselves, we're dead to sin. It has no power over us anymore. It's been broken. The penalty's gone. It's over. Now, sanctification is breaking the power of sin. We, we broke the penalty. That shackle, that chain that had you wrapped up and you were tied as hard as could be to death because of sin, that's gone, shot, over, finished. And now sanctification is breaking the power. We need to be dedicated to the process that God is doing that. What's another word we could use? What's one? I almost gave it away. That, that's good. Actually, that's really good. Let's make that the third one. Self-discipline. Because, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. In the morning, which is a good time, and I'm not saying that you have to get up in the morning and read your Bible. It's the best time probably because it's the freshest. You're, you, there's so many thoughts that haven't entered your mind that will come in the end to the day. The end of the day, sometimes it's hard to get engaged in God's Word. For me, the first thing is opening. You open your eyes, and I want to get to the Word quickly. I want to get there quickly because I want to fill... My mind with his word as quickly as possible. It's the best time to fill my mind. But let me ask this now. Whose responsibility is it for you to read the word? Exactly. Exactly. Well, my mother's supposed to do that for me. (laughs) Right? Right? 
Okay, there's one that I just, I kind of wrote, did you see the first letter? And I, yes, you were right on it, buddy. Commitment. How much of that is going on today? Is it two M's? It is? Okay. Help me through this. Two T's too? All right. That's what I was going to do. Committed. That is probably, without a doubt, the one thing in our country today that is so far gone, I can't imagine it. You can't get people committed to work. You can't com commit it to do anything. I'm talking commitment. I'm talking waking up, taking charge, and finishing the job. That is almost gone. Correct? It's, it's, it's really something else. And it's going to take that same commitment, take that, that dedication is self We could add on to this. I could let you go on for a while. But you see, if you can handle these three, sanctification and the power of God, you're unstoppable. God's unstoppable. You guys getting a little more excited or not yet? Okay, we're still working. Tena yeah, yeah, staying with it. I like that. I'm, I'm going to make that number four because i got room for it. Tenacity. Tenacity. Is that I get it right? Close enough. Tenacity. I like it. Did you guys, you didn't watch, we were at, at uh, True Seekers, we were writing down, and uh, did you see I actually spelled euthanasia correctly? And that's a toughie too, right? And there's a couple witnesses that I got it right the first time. It's amazing. Totally amazing. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. I'm 57, and I was actually second in the county spelling bee when I was a sixth grader. Must have been someone else indwelling my body, because I can't spell to save my life right now. I don't know what's going on, right? They were easy words, that's right. Did you see that? Where was that? Was it Waters World last night or what was it? There was a spelling bee champion. There was, there was, yeah, she was really sharp. My goodness sakes. But there was a, how many, okay, help me through. There was like eight. I mean, they, nobody won. There was eight co-winners. And I'm talking words that I, that I couldn't even pronounce, let alone know what they meant. And she was, did you see that one she spelled? Do you remember that? It was, it was like that long, right? And she's writing, she's saying it. She's saying it, but you can see she's writing it on her hand. In her, in her mind, she's, see, that's just the way I am. I have to see it. In my mind, like, that's why I write stuff down, because that becomes part of my mind. I see it. If I'm just listening to a tape or something, it's gone. I've got to put it back in, on the board in my mind. And that's what she was doing. She was writing it, she was writing it but saying it. And she, I could not believe that. You saw it. But eight kiddos that were co-winners... At a national spelling bee. Crazy. Okay. How did I get down that trail? I don't know. Spelling. Yeah, there we go. Yes. Okay. Let's keep moving. Um, let's go to uh, the extent of sanctification. Sometimes we have maybe rooms or various aspects of our life that we... Uh, well, I don't think that's important we sanctified that. You know, we're okay. That, that's okay. We're not going to clean that room. I haven't been in there for years. Right? And Jesus, he doesn't need to go in there. Holy Spirit, I don't think so, right? What's that? Procrastinate. That's another one. Can get it right in the middle of us, can it? Let's go to Philippians. I think you're still there. And let's go to verse, chapter 3, verse 13. Verse 13. <clears throat> I think this is, if we can take life this way, um, especially when you're, you, you know, you've had the, a stumble and a fall, and, you, you know, oftentimes it's hard for us to even want to get up. I'll tell you what, uh, it's like Paul He's, by the way, where's Paul when he wrote to the letter the, to the Philippians? Where was he at? Was he relaxing on a beach somewhere? He was in prison. He was in prison. He, did I say it? He was in prison. Now, could you guys write a book about joy being in prison? You can if you're in Jesus. 
But he answered correctly. Well, none of us could say, I'll write a book about joy. That's my, that's my, that's, what? I'm in prison. How could I be joyful? And you know what? If there's one word that you're going to describe Philippians, it's this. It's joy. He wrote a book about joy. And I'm telling you what, it's probably my go-to when I'm really kind of, I'm struggling a little bit and I need to have help from God. Just, just, you know what? A lot of verses that pop into my mind from Philippians. Because it's a great place to be encouraged because would you not believe that, that God took Paul to prison so that he could get him to write a book about joy for us today to be encouraged? Because if Paul wouldn't have been in prison, he would have been spreading the gospel all over the world and he wouldn't have had time to write a book about joy. Sometimes, you know what? You have to go through some hard times just for you to be able to nourish someone else that needs you. Isn't that crazy? That's God. Let's go. I, I lost track where I was at now. Imagine that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is awesome. You want to make a life verse? There it is. I press on. I was actually in a, in a situation. It was a difficult one. And, and you'll, you'll have those difficult moments where something went wrong, you know, relationally or whatever. And there was a situation and I was meeting with, with these people. And you could just tell we, we hit an impasse. And the question was, well, what are we going to do now? I quoted this verse. I'm going to forget what's behind I'm going to look what's ahead, and I'm going to press on to the mark of Jesus Christ. That's the right answer. Not because I came up with it. It's because God came up with it. Let's get moving. Let's press on. Let's press on. All right. So we've talked about the nature of it. We've talked about the source of it. We've talked about the extent of it. What's the goal? What's God's goal? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. You may know where I left my glasses. Oh, there they are. Thank goodness for the piano. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verses 26 and 27. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> we'll have to start in. We're going we're gonna to step back into 25 because it pulls the context of what's being talked about. Now, it's, it's relationship in the home between husbands and wives. And he directs husbands in verse 25 to, to the, this, and he ties quickly into what Jesus Christ does. He says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, just as an aside, husbands, when you love your wives like that, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Now, usually what husbands do, it's just, just a little bit of a side. I'm not going to get too far down this branch, but we'll get right back on the, up by the tree because I usually do eventually. Now, usually what husbands do is they don't love their wives like that. In other words, give them so, gave their life for their wife. They talk about, you need to submit to me, woman. Well, that's the wrong way to go about that. If you love her like she knows no one else would ever give her, he, literally giving himself for her completely, it all comes together. It all comes together. Okay, that was my husband's story. Let's keep going. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, an early Father's Day message. Or, it's not Father's Day, is it? No, not yet. Whoa, I thought, did I miss this? Oh, God, put it together. There it was. That was your Father's Day message. For I think it's actually coming up. Though. Anyway, here we go. Keep going. Let's ramble. And gave himself for it. Now, watch verse 26. Let's, let's get back into it. That he, Jesus, might sanctify. Did you see it? 
He gave himself for it that he might sanctify it, to set it apart, and to cleanse it with a washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not with spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that it should be holy and without blemish. What's the goal? To be completely blameless. Completely blameless. That's the beauty of what God is trying to do to you. He wants you to go that transition from being captured, be captivated by sin to holiness, to literally be completely through and through blameless. Is that not beautiful? Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. And I'm here to tell you the last part I should review again. The nature of sanctification was, remember that? We talked about three aspects. Let's just review quickly now. The nature of, of, of sanctification was, number one, we talked about See, see, that works. You guys finally know this is the place, this is the part of the room to get saved. It's right here. This is the place. Because I've, I've stood here for so long talking about justification. You just, Diane, it's not about you. It's not about I'm not making it personal. But right here is where you get saved is in this church, right? Okay. And see, the, you, I, I know that's true because you came up with the right word. Positional sanctification. It's taken care of. It's in your past. God now is locked onto his promises for you because of what he lined up and did through Jesus Christ. Then we talked about the second one was, of course, that's on this side of the room. That's the future, the ultimate sanctification from glorification. When we we hit glorification, that's the ultimate in, in sanctification. And then we've been talking about literally for our time together in the middle, and that's the experiential. Sanctification. Those are the aspects or the nature of sanctification. Then we went on to talk about, I'm going to find it, the source of sanctification. We found out that that was, remember, how is, how is he described? I found that kind of unique. The God of peace. The source of sanctification is God. Not you. It's not how much you muster up and you say the right words. No, it's the source is God, the God of peace. Then we found that the extent of it, it was entirely. We found that Paul described as being no question that we would want to be fully and entirely sanctified. And then we talk about what's the goal? To be completely blameless, through and through. And the last one is the security of sanctification. Because I'm sure you're still out there and you're wondering, you know what, I am so not perfect. The sanctification thing, I mean, I should be further along in my walk. I mean, it should probably be better than it is. And I don't, it, you know, how's it, go- what? I, you know, the really good part, it's not up to you. The source of strength is from who? The God of peace. It's up to the God of peace. Now, we have to, we have to be involved. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. See, it's promises like this that allow you to... Know that in the heat of the moment, he's working on your behalf. Uh, This is a verse you need to have, and I know we say it time to time, but you need to have this one really in your repertoire of memorization. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't know if it's tonight, I'll only be tomorrow. And don't read it yet, stop. I don't know if it'll be tomorrow, I don't know if it'll be the next day, I don't know if it'll be the next week, but something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Some flying dart of temptation from the evil one, and he's going to... And by the way, have you noticed he knows where your weak spots are? He's so sneaky, isn't he? He's so incredibly devious. He doesn't go where your strong parts are because he knows you got your shield on, right? He's not going to go there. Oh, no, 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 no. If he can hit you right here at a vulnerable spot, he's got a better chance. 
he's got a better chance to get a beachhead. But watch this. This is a promise you need to very collectively keep in mind. Now we can go. Verse, verse 13 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians says this. There hath no temptation, no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. <laughs> That's exactly true. But God is faithful. Underline who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That is a promise. If you're, if, if, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ as Savior and you meant business, that is a promise. Now, I can't begin to tell you how many times I have failed. And you know what? And you know what? Sometimes in a failure, the best thing you can do is go back and analyze where it was where you lost it. Right? That's even, like even game films. Let's say you're, 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 you've got a team and you're, you know, the best thing you can learn is what you did wrong. Right? Watch, ooh, they're hard to watch even, aren't they? Were we that bad? Yeah, we were that bad. And you know what? You'll always find every single time, every single time, I could find the place where God gave me a way to get out. Every single time. Isn't that cool? Every single time, if I would have done that there, that was the way out. And that's a promise. That's part of this right here. It's part of sanctification. He's on your team. He's helping you. I don't know if I could get much more excited. You guys are just not quite there for me, so let's keep going. I told you I'm going to keep droning on until you really get pumped up here. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. It's all down the same trial, all the same vein of thought. Because Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, another one of my favorite verses... Because when you're kind of feeling down a little bit, you kind of wonder, I mean, I don't know if how much, it just seems that, you know, have you ever got that, when you're tired, how you just kind of have that, it just weighs on you, just, oh man, I'm just not measuring up, right? What's going on here? No one? Just me. Okay, well, that's okay. Look at this, verse 6, chapter 1, being confident. I have that, see, I have that circle in my Bible, because I want, this is a big deal. This is being confident, Of this very thing, you can be confident of this, that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is not going to bail out on you. He is going to keep on keeping on. He's going to keep pressing on. That's awesome. I mean, that's awesome. You got a bad day, a bad week, a bad year. God's not going to... That's a really good description of sanctification. It means that God will not let you continue in a process of where you're not going to get better. I said it better in my notes. Let me try that. Let me try it. Let me see. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Sanctification means God loves us too much to let us stay the same. That's, that's better than the way I said it just now. I was, have you ever seen? I was struggling. Um, um, <laughs> let me say that one more time. God, uh, sanctification means God loves us too much to let us stay the same. That is really good, isn't it? It's really good. It's really good. It's hard to say. I read so much, go so many places. I will not take credit for it, but I love what it says. I love what it says. He loves us too much to let us stay the same. That's a promise. That's a promise. Excuse me? He won't leave us where he found us. That's exactly right. That's exactly And by the way, it, and that, tying on to that, what Ernie just shared, you know, the other thing is, is I, I hear people, well, I'm just... I'm going to have to clean up some things before God will accept me. Oh, no, 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 no. Stop. Stop. Don't try to do that. You have no chance. of. You have no chance. You can't win. You can't possibly get there. No, you come as you are. 
just as I am. That's the way he wants you. He doesn't want no cosmetics on, because that's what it would be. He'd be putting you on makeup and making you look like you aren't, because you can't change the inside. That's really cool. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, he starts on the inside, the place you can't get at, and he changes you from the inside out. And thankfully, this is part of the process. This, is, this isn't something that you have to merge your up the strength. He does it. You just yield to him. You just ask. One of the best questions you can ask, Lord God, what do you want me to do next? Just what's my next step? I got a lot of those this week. Pray for me this week. There's a lot of stuff going on. I, I quite honestly, I have no idea how it's going to work out. I don't know. In fact, it looks a little scary, which means it's a great spot for God to be. Right? Yeah. Exactly. I woke up last night and I'm wondering, wow, there's a lot of really heavy. St- and you know what? Best thing you can do is stop. Let's start praising God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Precious be the name of the Lord. All of those things. See, just think of all he's given to us, the promises that he's given to us. But now, quickly, oh, we're about out of time, aren't we? But I don't care. We're going to go through a quick checklist. And it's going to be quick. Promise, it's going to be a real quick checklist. of How am I doing? Am I really being sanctified? I'm I'm concerned we're in my journey. Let's do this real quickly, okay? I've got seven things. You say, how is that going to be quickly? I'm going to do them really fast. You can't imagine how fast we're going to do them. Okay. Number one is if you're, sancti- if, if you're sanctified, uh, if, you're, if you're in the process of being sanctified, you already know that where you are now is different from where you were when you started. Okay? Just think quickly. If you were saved later in life, I'm trusting. If you were truly saved, I guarantee you on your walk, it's better now than it was. Okay? Number two is you are... Oh, just a second. I've got to get this right now. Excuse me? Mom, what did you say? One is you remember when you first got saved from where you are now that there is a difference. You have moved down the chart. There, there, you, you are, you're further than you were to st- on day one, right? Okay. Number two is you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's more of a fact than a question. But... You have to remind yourself of that. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Number three, you literally look at sin differently now. Okay? Prior to, prior to you getting saved, now you have a strong aversion to sin in your own life. Not saying that you don't fall down, that you don't, I'm not talking about, but you look at it differently. Like you show, you show me a non Christian, someone that's trapped in sin. Sin is, just, I just do whatever I'm going to do. I mean, I just whatever I feel like doing, right? No, no, that changed when you became one of God's. Now you see sin for what it is. In fact, when you fall into sin, you see what it did to you. Christian, I mean, a non-Christian, Friday night, let's party through the whole weekend, and next week, let's do it all over again, and again, and again, and again. And again. It, it, it's just a root, it's just part of life. And when you see what sin does to you, you have an aversion to it. You, you want to get away from it. Okay? That's something that sanctification will do for you. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 and verse 14 real quickly. Because you're going to seek to do spiritual duty with a heart of love. A heart of love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14. Excuse me? No? Oh, what did I say? That's number 4. No, new one. See, we're getting through these so fast, you can't believe it. I might even be wrong in my numbering now that I look at it. Anyway, let's just keep going. We'll count them later. Um, 
But your spiritual duty be seen not as a duty as much as out of a heart of love. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You see what I'm saying? The love of Christ is what draws us to doing what we do. If you're sanctified, it's not just, Oh, I suppose i got to do what's right here. Oh, good. No, no. We're talking about the love of Christ. Will con- it will pull us. You know what I'm talking about. You do it for love. The next one, you will begin to show a disciplined life. There was things that you literally didn't even, couldn't even stop doing for any reason. And now, through the power of God, you're able to discipline yourself in that regard. There's a strong desire to serve Christ. A strong desire to serve Christ. Here's another one. This is number, is this number seven if we're counting? This is six. I accept Alice has seven. I'm, so let's, let's just quickly go back through them. You remember a time when you weren't saved. Okay, so that's number one. You remember the, the difference when you were saved where you are now. That pro, right? That's number one. Did you have that one, Alice? Okay. Number two was you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Number three, you look at sin very differently. You have a, you have a distaste for it. Maybe you should do that. Strong distaste towards sin. Number four. Yeah, the, Christ, the, love's, the love of Christ is really what uh, dictates our duties. And number five, showing a disciplined life. Number six, a strong desire to serve Christ. And number seven, this one here is very, very true, absolutely very true. How do you look at the Word of God? There is a love for the Word of God. If you're being sanctified, if you're on this path, I, I would say even very early, I, I see someone that's just freshly saved. They have a newfound love for the Word of God. They want to just take it in and take it in and take it in and take it in. There's a love for the Word of God. If you don't have a love for the Word of God, then I would say, you know, I've got, I've got one guy I'm thinking of right now. Reading to him is very, very difficult. I don't know if it's just the matter of just reading is difficult, but he just, but if he can listen to it on tape, so I bought him a Bible on tape. He's just in love with it. He loves it. See, and, and the Word of God doesn't have to be just looking at it. You know what? It can be big print. It can be, it can be whatever. You can look at it on the screen, but you have a love for God's Word. That's what David always talked about. I love thy Word. Thy Word have I hid in my heart. That's what I'm talking about. And number eight, the last one. This is what this is. This is also very true. We'll look at a couple of scriptures, and we're going to we're going to close out. Is you begin to associate? You want to associate with other people that are in the process of being sanctified. That's why we're here today. Is we're encouraged by being around others that are being sanctified. Yeah, we want to be around others that way. In fact, let's look at First Corinthians. You're in second. Turn back to First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. And this is uh, something that Paul writes to these people. They passionately need it here. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Who do you hang around with? That's a big difference. Hebrews chapter 10 is what we'll close with on this section. Hebrews chapter 10. That's one of the reasons that we're here today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23. I think it's 24. We'll start there. I think it's 24. Yeah, 24 and 25. There we go. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Listen to this. This is really good. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting, that is encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That is so good as we're gathered here today. See, God energizes us. He fuels us. You will see progress. When you're yielding to God. I'm going to close with at least this part of the service in Psalm chapter 51. 
written by David. Let's go there. Let's, let's close there. A Psalm chapter 51, and I think this is the desire that he had, and it's the desire we should have when we're engaged in the process of God sanctifying us. Uh, Psalm chapter 51 and verse 10. These are David's words. So beautiful. I often think of uh, a chorus that was made in its, in its regard. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That literally is, a, is part of the process of being sanctified. Now, he had fallen desperately. This was after his sin with Bathsheba. But you know what? He came back and said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of the work that you're doing in us and the progress and the process that you are the source of, a process that we call the sanctification. Experientially, Father, in the days that we're walking on this earth, from the day that we got saved until the last, last breath that we will breathe on this side of heaven, is that experiential part of sanctification. It's for us to be set apart from the world, for us to move from sin has, that has captured us to literally to holiness, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the encouragement that you've given us today through your word. We would ask that you guide, that you direct us through this week, that let us see you even more intimately than we've ever seen because of the power that you've given to us and that you've broken us free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin as we go through the process, as we yield ourselves to you. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. On that vein, as we think about our hearts and creating a clean heart, as David would ask for, our time of communion, the first Sunday of the month, it's a time that we need to reflect on what he's done for us, what he paid for us. And uh, we'll take these, these moments. I'm going to ask that Paul would come, and as he passes out the bread, it'll be time for us to reflect upon thinking about the last time that Jesus and his disciples were gathered together as a group from literally hours later they would be broken apart from and that would be the last time that they would really see him physically. But it's an opportunity for us to reflect on what he was really getting ready to accomplish and to do. It was overwhelming when you think of the pain and the agony and the penalty that he was wearing on that cross. And it wasn't his. It was us. It was ours. And I'm going to ask Larry, that if Laramie would play some soft music. Let's just take time to reflect upon what he's done and just come before him and clear our hearts or consciences of anything that may be bothering us. It's, he's sent to us today. thinking of that old hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. How appropriate as we think about the, our Jesus, there's no time that we don't need him.
need thee every hour. Think of the love that he expressed to us as he's on that night gathered around with his closest friends, his disciples, and sharing with them. He's been trying for a long time, actually, to, to just show them that he's going to be leaving. He's going to be leaving them. And they weren't getting it. And yet, it became all clear to them not very many hours later. And on that night, as they were sitting there, Jesus took bread and he blessed it. Let's pray for the bread. Father God, we thank you for that, uh, that time that we can commemorate where Jesus Christ laid it all on the line. His disciples did not understand the significance of those moments. But Jesus, his heart was heavy, I'm sure. He was wearing already then the weight of the sin of the world. He knowing no sin. He knowing no guilt. He knowing nothing of the tragedies and the trespasses of which sin had caused and brought to, to the human race. He was still feeling the weight. He was wearing my sin. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He had mentioned that about three years previous. How insightful. But Father, we want to just thank you for Jesus Christ. For his beautiful, beautiful gift that he gave to everyone that would receive him. That literally turns into justification. Because, Father, you can declare them not guilty if they receive Christ. What a gift. What a promise. And now, Father, we thank you for what was given on that night to those disciples and to us, ultimately. In Christ's name, amen. It says, as they were, as they were eating, that Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's partake together. Paul, would you... Thank him for the, for the blessing of, the, of his body. Father, we humbly repent to come before you and lay at your feet, recognizing what you have done for us. Lord, you had to do this. You even said that. You said, Lord, is there any other way I can just, any other way we can, you can do this? And you know, no, Lord, besides. As Paul is passing out the cup once again, just contemplate within our minds of the significance of these moments that were quickly passing. But as I think about it, just a verse came to my mind that Paul was writing to the Ephesians. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And what accomplished that was that cruel death that he, weighed, that he lived on the cross. Let's just think of that for these moments.
What a great God we have to have determined before He made us. He knew we'd need Him. And loved us enough to take care of it. How magnificent. How marvelous. How great thou art. And what it cost. <clears throat> Ernie, I would ask that you would give thanks for the cup, please. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, there's no remission of sin except through the blood. And thank you for doing that. We take this in remembrance of, of you shedding blood for our sins. And we just want to thank you in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. And Matthew goes on to say on that evening that he took the cup and he gave thanks. He gave it to them and he said, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Oh God, again, we thank you for the perfect sacrifice. Through all of those countless, countless, countless sacrifices that have been offered and issued to you, in the Old Testament, at your request from your chosen people, Israelites, not one of them was enough. Not one of them was fully atoning for their sin. You could only cover it for a time. There were those times every year that there was atonement for the nation for the year, but it always had to be repeated. It was never enough. It was never good enough. Father, when Jesus did it once... You've told us it was good for eternity. What a marvelous thing to know that it's taken care of. It's finished. It's done. It's completed. There's nothing more that could have been needed to be accomplished. Christ finished it. All at his expense, he, wore, he just bore the sins of the entire world. For those three hours when it was dark from noon to three o'clock in the day, the middle of the day, Jesus Christ bore our sins. And even you, Father, could not look on him for that time. must have been the most hideous, painful time for Jesus imaginable. Not to mention the grueling, painful experience from the nails and the crucifixion itself. But for you having to turn from God the Son because of us but he counted it joy he endured the cross counting it joy because he regained what had been lost Father it's with a great deal of thanks and gratitude that we come before you again with all that we are and all that we shall be because of you we give, our, give ourselves to you asking us to continue to finish the work that you've started in conforming us to the image of your precious and holy Son, Jesus Christ. May we be, as Paul had asked, that we would be holy and blameless because of what he accomplished. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.